Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, hey, as you've been listening this season, you know that we are in a series on the seven steps of the sales process. And as I've said, you know, over the last six to eight months, as I've been traveling and working with various companies around the country, I have just seen a hunger and a need for the steps in the sales process. And so this season, I wanted to revisit them, even though we went through these steps a number of years ago, I wanted to revisit them with some new people that I have a lot of respect for that embody different parts of the sales process. And you know, when I, when I talk about a hunger for the sales process, what, what I've noticed is as I've been, been teaching the seven step process, I've, I've just seen like a a resonance that I have not seen before. And and I think it has to do with the fact that the economy has softened. And I mean, it takes somebody smarter than me to tell you what's the difference between a soft economy and a recession and everything else. But what I can say is that the ridiculous demand of the COVID years has waned. And for companies now, if they want to make sales, they have to get really intentional and start trying and, for a lot of companies, those muscles have, have atrophied a little bit. And and I think that by having a sales process, having seven steps to go to again and again and again, it gives us a mark on the horizon to strive for and it allows the team to get better. So that's been the heart behind doing these episodes. Now, as you know, the seven steps of the sales process start with step one, greeting the customer. In step two, we take the time to understand their problem. In step three, we advise a solution. In step four, we explain the process of doing business with us because many customers don't have an understanding of that. In step five, we call to action. In step six, we pursue the opportunity. And finally, in step seven, we show gratitude. Well, in today's conversation, I'm talking with my friend Dennis Deacon about step six. And I talk about this a little bit in the episode with him, but Dennis is somebody that was introduced to me by our mutual friend, Daniel Hammer. And literally from the second I met Dennis, he was just one of those guys where I I just felt a connection with and I wanted to be friends with him just like right away. And even though I've only known him for a few years, like we've had some experiences. we've, We've shared Airbnbs. We've stayed up really late playing regular Nintendo, talking about life and marriage. He's hosted me out at his house. He lives in this really cool spot outside of Seattle. And uh, in, in many ways, he, he's, he's kind of like the most interesting man in the world where he has this this great looking mustache. He lives in a home that's on a lake and he has like a wood stove, a gas insert, and another type of ZC gas fireplace in his house. And his house is like completely heated with products from our industry, even has a big green egg outside. So I feel like Dennis in every way just like embodies the independent and wild spirit of our industry. But as you listen to this conversation, you're going to hear that that he has adopted a discipline. And one of the main themes that we talk about is becoming a professional. And to become a professional, you need to be able to pursue opportunities and train your team to do the same thing. So with that said, I'm going to step out of the way so you can hear this conversation. I have a lot of thoughts to share on the back end, but for now, I hope you enjoy it. This is a good one. 
Joining me from Seattle, Washington is the sales manager at Sutter Home and Hearth. I'm here today with Dennis Deacon. Dennis, how you doing? Good, Tim. Tim, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Dude, I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, I talked about this a little bit in the intro to this episode, but dude, you are one of those guys that, I mean, from the first time I met you, I was like, I, I like this guy. I, I, I want to be around this guy and spend time with him. And uh, man, I just, I appreciate the friendship. And uh, I feel like it's been, it's been a very fast friendship. It has been. I think we blush a little bit, but yeah, we fast friends for sure. <laughs> and you know, we've had some times we've, we've, uh, we've shared some Airbnbs together. We've, uh, we've walked a lot of streets late at night at, at trade shows. And I think that, that like, those shared experiences do something to bond us, but we're not here yep. to pontificate about uh, playing regular Nintendo late at night, which we have done. <laughs> we're talking about, about sales and uh, you're the sales manager at, at Sutter. And I, I'd love like, could you give the audience a little bit of context as, as to your journey? Because you came into the industry like pretty young and then left and came back. Yeah. I started in the industry when I was 23, about 20, 20 years ago. So I'm aging myself there, but um, spent seven years in the industry and then 2010 happened. And, uh, you know, I was forced to make some other choices and and ended up moving on from the industry and actually spent several years in California selling electronics and just had a, you know, a different industry and a different outlook uh, down there. You know, customers are different in California than they are in Washington. Yeah. Um, and that was a good learning experience. Um, and it, it, it kind of put me in a, you know, having to learn a new industry at the time um, forced me to really look at, you know, what, what does it mean to be sales? And, you know, how do you make a, a life and a career out of it? And of course, I was at the age too where I was ready to get a little bit more serious. You know, started reading books and um, kind of yeah. trying to do some self education and, um, you know, latch on to some good mentors who taught me a lot. And then at some point, moving back home was in the cards. So I came back to Washington and, um, man, the hearth industry, I, I, I've been told it's a boomerang, but, um, you know, I found myself coming back to, to work with Sutter and it's been exciting to go kind of back to the roots, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, and I think you're in a really cool position. I would say, you know, it's not that there's no companies that have sales managers. There's not as many. I think, I think for many businesses in our industry there, you know, it, it's the owner that functions as the sales manager or also one of the salespeople and Sutter's in a pretty privileged position, right? Where, where you can focus solely on sales. And, and I, I love that so much. And I think this is part of the reason that we relate so much is like, you know, I love sales leadership and, and management. And, and that's something that, that I did for a long time. And I think it's, I think it's a position where you can really affect change. And I think that, man, like you, you, you really are able to make an impact without the burden of some other things that, that, you know, come with the territory when you're also managing the installers and also managing, you know, the cash flow and the HR and everything else. So I think it's a really, really cool position that you're in. Um, and I, I guess I, I want to talk about sales management later on, but maybe to start out when, when you went from the hearth industry to selling, you know, home audio systems, like these are high end systems. Can you talk a little bit about how it changed from selling like $5,000 fireplace projects to what, like 10,000, 20,000, even higher than that. Right. With, with the audio uh, systems multiple hundreds of thousands sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. I mean, the scale of the project uh, became so much greater than I, than I could imagine because with fireplaces you have, 
a fuel source, you have this, the appliance itself, you have venting and then some sort of control. And with home audio systems, there's, you know, all the different parts <laughs> you know, from the actual parts that are in the ceilings or in the walls to the wiring that gets there. And then all the control equipment in the back end and the labor to program it and the list goes on. And, you know, we would do home automation systems where we'd be controlling somebody's gate or their fountain. And, you know, during the time when the iPhone was still sort of new. Um, and so everything was a science project. Um, yeah, but that's, you know, that, that's what happens. And that's how projects like that get to be, you know, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars is in it. You're usually people that get that kind of work, um, have large homes and interesting indulgences. And usually the, the budget isn't, um, you know, the, the money's not a problem. So, but with money comes uh, a lot of expectation and a lot of complication, which is not untrue to our industry. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I feel like, you know, for, for you, it almost seems like that journey to California was like your rite of passage, right? It's like you you go down a boy, you come back a man, right? I mean, yeah. it sounds like that's that was kind of it. And for me, like I kind of had a formative time like that, like that too, in my in my early to mid twenties. And like, what did you learn about sales taking that experience on firsthand that you didn't understand before when you were working up here in the fireplace industry? There, there's more detail than just the project. Uh, the project itself has its own challenges and, and generally mechanical challenges I, I find to be the simplest. Um, the, the big challenge was realizing that every customer is different and every customer's needs and the things that motivate them and the things that frustrate them. Um, those are the parts of the sales process that, I, that really turned around for me was paying attention to the yeah. people. And, and really seeing what it was that excited them or the things that disappointed them. And then, you know, what was important about this project? Why were they doing it? You know, sometimes somebody comes in and they say, I want a stove. And you say, great, here are the stoves and I'm going to sell you a stove. But, you know, or, or I think a really good salesperson says, well, what are you getting the stove for? Why, why do you want it? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's almost always the case that there's some motivating factor that is causing them to make this decision. There's a, a family event or there's a real mechanical need to have heat in the house. And, you know, all these things are motivating factors that, you know, once you know what it is that's really important to someone, it's the only way you can really offer them a, an honest solution. So you can sell a lot of things to people, but learning about the people and offering them the right thing is the harder thing to do. So, yeah, man, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, you know, part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation today, we're, we're going through the series on the sales process. And I wanted to talk about step six, which is pursue the opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, sales is, is a game of momentum. It, momentum has to continue to build. Once momentum starts to slow down and stall, it's really, really hard to pick it up again. And pursuing the opportunity is the way that we continue to build momentum as, as time passes by. And so my first question just to start out is like, why is follow-up so important in the sales process? Well, to be honest, I'm not very good at the fifth step. <laughs> I've, I've always been kind of a soft closer and I just have a hard time saying like, okay, so do you want to buy that today? You know, like where are your keys? Let's put this in your car right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not that guy. So I, I had to learn to then... Well, what was going to be the thing that that was really going to give my clients a real value? 
in the sales process, right? So I feel like people come in, this is a big purchase. There's a lot to choose from. You know, I'm doing my best to understand them, understand their problem, um, really offer them a really thoughtful solution. But then, you know, they're like, okay, great. Like, even if everything adds up, most people just want to have a little bit of time to like digest it. And then, and then with, you know, two to 10 to, you know, $100,000, whatever it may be. And I want to respect that. And so the way that I've sort of handled it is in every project, there's some detail that you may not have the answer to during the time when you meet them at, fir- at first. Maybe it's, you know, the height of their mantle they didn't get or the, you know, how the fireplace narrows or the clearance, um, you know, the nearest window to their, you know, horizontal exit or whatever. You know, today I just was talking to somebody where they wanted a specific feature on the remote and I wasn't sure if that remote actually worked with that, with that stove. And so instead of just like stopping the sales process and digging that up, I said, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but let me check with somebody that knows the knows manufacturer of my rep um, and I'll get back with you. And so that's fine. We, you know, I kind of put that as a nugget off to the side um, and then able to, you know, finish the rest of the process, um, you know, come up with a solution, give them a quote, and then come to the point where, you know, the next step is either to, to book an estimate or to go ahead and move forward. And they just really want to go home and think about it. And really, they want to go home and argue whether or not the husband who's 85 is going to install the stove himself. And the wife is basically <laughs> going to go home and tell him, you're not moving a stove again, you're 85. Um, just let's pay them to install it. But I want to give them time to have that discussion slash argument um, yeah. at home. Um, but I know that they had this question about the remote and how the blower operates with it. So I'm looking forward to calling them back tomorrow and just saying, hey, I've got an answer to that question that you had. And at that point, they will have had their discussion on the way home. If my hunch is correct, um, the wife will get her way. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then we'll move forward. But, you know, it doesn't always go like that. But in every project, there's something that you can hang on to that gives you, I, I hesitate to say an excuse, uh, but a reason um, to reach yeah. back out to somebody. By the time somebody comes in and they tell you about their home and the fireplace they want, why they want it, their life, and you know maybe show you some pictures of, of the space and what's there, you kind of you know more about them and their home probably at that point than most of their neighbors do. So me calling up and following up on some information a day later or two days later, to me, I just feel like I'm just continuing a relationship that I've started building. So I think that yeah. if you approach it from that angle and have an honest heart about it, then yeah. I think that, I think that it's really, really impactful. And I think people really appreciate it. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I totally agree. And we were talking about this a little bit offline, right? That man, people are busy. You know, we, we think when we talk to them, the fireplace was the most important thing in the world, but like, man, the second they leave the showroom or the second that the estimator leaves the house, if they didn't make a decision, then like, they're not thinking about it. Right. Cause everything else has taken over. Yeah. 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 I mean, they leave the store and they go to lunch and they go home and they, they take your quote or your bid packet. They say, okay, we're going to talk about this later. It probably get it shuffled in with the mail and, and might not see it for, you know, two weeks or a month or longer. Yeah. I'm with you. So how did, how did you discover like follow-up was, was so important? And this is something that I, I think that as I talk to companies, very few companies have a consistent follow-up process most companies truly in our industry most companies don't follow up at all but for the ones that do like it really is gold and and i've i've found 
it can be very difficult, especially for young salespeople to actually believe it. But like something changed for you. Like how did you discover for yourself that this is worth doing? Oh, you make a hundred calls. Make, make, <laughs> call, make a hundred calls and then let me know what happens. If you call a hundred people, you'll sell, you'll sell at least two. I, I just, I, it's yeah. math. And then once you realize that like math is on your side, it doesn't matter. Every voicemail that you leave, every conversation we have with somebody that says, oh, you know, like maybe next year, um, like especially the person that says, oh, well, maybe next year, we're not going to do it till next year. That's perfect. I love to put those in my spreadsheet. So generally, if someone's coming into your store to look for a fireplace and they're asking you to write a quote, they maybe book you to have an estimator match their house and measure the fireplace and refine it. They might decide not to do that at that point. There's no way that they went that far through the process and didn't really want it. So it might not work right now, but most of the time it's a budgetary thing. Somebody says, oh, geez, I realized that X, Y, Z was going to cost me 10 grand. And they, that's fine. You know, uh, most homeowners that I've, I've found that if they want something, then they just get the money together and then they make it happen next year. So when you follow up with somebody after a year and you, Tell them that, you know, the model they were looking at hasn't changed. Maybe it's got an updated feature. It's got a new front. Or remember, we talked about how you really wanted the glass burner and well, now they make it. Or you might be running a promotion or a sale and before, yeah. you know, they were not going to spend the money, but gosh, $150 off, like might as well. Let's, let's pull the trigger. So when you call somebody yeah. with that, I, I like to say that yeah. if you're just calling somebody to offer them a cookie, it's, it's up to them whether they want it or not. <laughs> Yeah, that's so good. Dude, okay, the cookie thing reminded me, you told me once, this is so brilliant. You told me once that a sale is like a baby bird. Can you yeah. can you expand on that analogy? This is amazing. Well, I've seen so many customers and clients come into a showroom and whether it's electronics or fireplaces or whatever, like it's generally like the woman sort of like clutching her purse and the man, you know, looking around to make sure he can see where all the exits are. And um, <laughs> I think that like the average if you have a person shopping or even just walking into a new building, there's this like level of initial discomfort. And then from there, it's, you know, you, you welcome them, get to know them, they get to know you a little bit, um, you know, go through the process. They talk about their home. Like all of this stuff is really fragile. And you can, um, in the very beginning, you could be too abrupt or not attentive enough yeah. or, overbearing or so many things that like that little baby bird can't live in that environment. Like that sale is not going to go anywhere because you've crushed it or you've not fed it or whatever it is. So to me, I I feel like a client coming into the store is you have the egg and that's, Mm. and that's where it's at right now. It's just don't drop it. All you have to do is just not drop it. And then after you get to know them and and it starts to, you know, happen, you know, then, then it's going to hatch. And then once it hatches, you've got this baby bird, then you pass along to your production department. It's up to them to make it fly. Um, You know, everything goes well and safely. Um, And then in the end, you know, uh, this bird matures and it flies away and it's, it's happy. Um, And that's a good sale. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's such a good analogy. And it makes me think like for follow-up as well, like when we're pursuing the opportunity, we can't be, we have to be delicate. Like we can't be too forceful and, and it's so easy to go to one extreme or the other. So like, it's, it's easy to go to an extreme where we just call people back or email them and say, Hey, do you want to buy this or what? And we're moving on to the next one. We're churning and burning, or we go the other way and we call, 
without really a reason or we're tiptoeing around it so much. It's like, hi, um, I was just, I was just calling you back to, to check in, to see how you were doing, you know, in either one of those, it, it, it's catastrophic for the baby bird. Right. So you talked about this a little bit. I, I love how like you hold back like a, a, a nugget and it's not like you're intentionally holding back information, but like in your sales conversation, what you said is in that example of the remote, you could have derailed the entire conversation for 15 to 20 minutes to go get your rep on the phone, wait, you know, on hold for the technical department, get your question answered, then go back to the people. But you realized that's not a barrier to the sale. We can simply set that aside and say, hey, let me work on that for you. In the meantime, you know, let's, let's keep talking about this. And for most people, they're completely okay with that. And now you have a reason to follow up. And like, I just think that that's so good. If there's something that you were waiting on an answer for and didn't have it, or if there's a piece of information that you can call them back with, man, that's a valuable call. And so like, when you, when you follow up with people, was you pursue the opportunity? Why is it so important to have a concrete reason that you're calling them or some, something that you're calling them with to give them value as opposed to just calling to check in? Yeah. I, if you have a reason to call someone and it's uh it's um, a value. Like take, for example, somebody who's, they, they want to redo their, their built-in fireplace, but they don't know a builder, but you happen to know three or four different builders that, that might do that project. You calling them with that information and giving them three or four options, or maybe only one or two options to add to whatever their other sources, that just gives them more, more information and more, more freedom. If you, if you call someone and you say, hey, guess what? I've got $10 for you. You're not going to be upset. Be like, okay, great. Yeah. Thanks. And, you know, there's so many complications to the, the projects that we do that there's always something. There's a, a builder that they need or a chimney sweep if you don't do chimney sweeps. Maybe a gas pipe fitter if you don't do gas pipe fitting. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's numerous yeah. uh, referrals you can give people. And there's always information that, you know, is particular to their situation that you can offer them value in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I found so much success in calling back with an intentional reason. Again, like if you, if there's subcontractors involved in the job to be able to call and say, Hey, I wanted to check in and make sure that you were able to connect with the gas fitter. If you've been having problems, I can take that on for you. Right. Like checking back in. Oh, they didn't get back to you. Okay. You know what? Um, I'm going to call them this afternoon. I'm going to make sure you get a call. Okay. So like you're, you're, you're showing them that like you want to help them on their project. It, it, it's not up to them to go coordinate these four trades or something like that. Like you can actually be an advocate. And then even just like basic things like calling because your, your estimator schedule is starting to get booked out or, you know, calling them back because it's a year later and they mentioned that they wanted to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like, me and my wife, like we need windows for our house and we got quotes this year and it was just outside of our budget. And so we're looking at it hard next year. We, and so like we have the budget number now and I don't know what company we're going to use, but my goodness, like if one of the companies that quoted us this year calls us back next year, like, man, that that's like, that's like some points in their favor for actually caring about us and circling back when we wanted to do the project. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good point. You'll find once you start doing follow-up and it's really thoughtful and really effective, um, that people will start to tell you how rare it is and how appreciated yeah. it is. So it's not just like, you know, hearth dealers don't do this. This is any industry for any appliance you yeah. ever buy. Or, um, I, I had some electrical done in my house about four or five months ago, and I had like eight different contractors involved and not one of them could land it. Like oh it was just, gosh. it was like, didn't call me back or, 
Uh, the quote was ridiculous and undetailed. They, they missed the details all together. It wasn't even recorded, yeah. you know, for what I wanted. I had some thoughtless follow-up, you know, from people that I didn't even talk to. They were just calling to say, hey, are you yep. going to move forward with this or not? Um, and if one of them would have been able to provide to me a good solution with a fair quote and then followed up with me, the, the number couldn't have been the deterrent. It would have just been like, yeah. I just want to feel like I'm working with somebody <laughs> that... <laughs> can do every element of the project and, and doesn't fumble it or drop the ball. And if you do it in the beginning, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose all faith. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's a good, that, that takes me to a good, a good thing to think about here. Like, why is it so hard for salespeople to follow up? Well, that's tough. That's, that's tough. I think it's hard work, not to say that people don't work hard, but I think that it's hard work in a way that's intimidating and it's uncomfortable to feel like you're calling someone with some value if you think your job is to sell things to people. If you think mm. your job is to sell things to people, you're going to have a hard time justifying a reason to call someone because your motivation is to sell them something. If you wow. find that your motivation is to help someone through this process and this whatever this project is, remember this is their dream. Like They're going to spend thousands of dollars to make this a part of their home for many years to come. They need help. They don't know how it operates. They don't understand the different choices aesthetically and functionally. The average customer doesn't know anything about any of that. So they're looking for a guide. And if you can be an effective guide and help them with their decisions and, and like I say, be thoughtful with your follow-up, uh, not be pushy, um, then you're going to just create a wake of happy customers and disciples. Because that person then yeah. says, oh, well, you know, Tim down at you know, the fireplace store was so awesome. Like, totally understand my problem and the solution has been fantastic and their install team was great. And gosh, it's just like, I, 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 I don't even have that experience in any other part of my life. Like, it's so amazing. Yeah. That goes so far. Yeah. And that's, that's the home run right there. And that's when you call them and you say, you know what, I just, wanted, I just wanted to check and see how your install went and see how the stove is working for you. And you know, thank you for your business. And when they turn back on you and they say, no, thank you. Like this has been such a yeah. uh, refreshing experience. Then you realize, oh, I'm not in the business to sell things. I'm in the business to help you. Dude, that's so good. We'll get back to our conversation with Dennis Deacon in just one second. Hey, if you're sitting here mid-season and wanting to know what you can do to make it easier for your sales team, you've got to take a look at streamlining your website to move customers as far as possible through the sales process before they connect with your team. And what I mean by that is if you think about sales like a football game, if, if your team has to start all the way on the other end of the goal line, you've got a full 100 yards to march. That's a lot of work. But what if your team could start at the 30-yard line or the 50 or even the 20 so that all you have to do is punch it in. Well, that's what your website should be doing for your company. But the truth is, most websites in our industry confuse customers. If you're looking for a website that can help a customer understand which options will work in their space, how much their project is going to cost, and what steps they need to take to buy, then you need to take a look at having the Wi-Fi team build your website. I'm not joking when I say that these websites are about a third of the cost of what a 
normal website is, the turnaround time is incredibly quick. And so if you're sick of having a website that costs a ton of money and that confuses customers and you want to make life easier for your sales team, you've got to check out getting a website from the Wi-Fire team. And you can check that out today by going to wifire.com. That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. Okay, so we've talked about this individually. How do you apply this to a team? So, so you come into Sutter, and 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 you're bringing with you, you know, a lot of experience as a as a rock star salesperson selling very very high end projects. How do you work with a team that hasn't had a follow up process in place before to start building one? Well, that's a heavy question for me, Tim. Um, just because it's it is really tough to go from feeling like you are you know pretty good at what you do and that you've been doing it long enough that most of it is second nature and feeling like, well, everyone can do this. It's, it's, it's simple. I can just tell you that, you know, here's the seven steps of the sales process, you know, greet the customer, you know, interview them and be thoughtful, but all the intricacies of that process come into play. And, and, and that's the, that's the challenging part. I, I find that like the understanding the problem is one that it takes a lot of time and a lot of experience yeah. to really visualize someone's home, even with photos. You, know, you get a, a picture of the oh yeah, but you don't you don't get a lot of other information. So it it takes a lot of time before you get the experience to to really kind of understand all the all the problems and all the customers. Um. So, so that's that's kind of right now. That's what I'm working on the most with my team is is really trying to get past the the transaction part of it and really kind of understand yeah. what, are the, what are the motivating factors from the, the client. Uh, yeah. So that's, you know, if you were to talk about how do you just take the sales process and then, you know, convey it to, to a team, you can tell them what the steps are, but until you show them what each of the steps are, um, it's, yeah. it's tough. So, yeah. you know, right now I'm, I'm, you know, working with my team as much as I can on the sales floor, actually, you know, being a part of the sales process and wearing them about some of the projects that they're doing and, and sharing with them some of the things that I'm doing to kind of work on those finer points. The actual follow-up step, the mechanism of that is, is again, like you have to have that understanding the problem down. If you don't understand their problem, then the solution that you're going to bring isn't going to be on point. So yeah, work on understanding the problem and really understanding all the details and then bring thoughtful solutions to that. That's kind of the, the middle part that is probably, I would think, would be the most challenging. Yeah, because it's, it's almost like, going off what you're saying, if you don't understand the problem, like you don't really have the right to follow up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you don't, and if you don't understand the customer, you don't know if what you're doing is, is going to be offensive. Yeah, and for me, where it all changed was when I started documenting my interactions with customers in a sales dashboard, and and it started out just truly like it was an Excel sheet. You know, I just kept an Excel sheet. I track all my quotes, the dollar value, keep some basic notes. As I moved into a team, that evolved into a Google Sheet, and then that evolved eventually into the Wi-Fi CRM. But for me, if you don't have a place to track individual interactions, like. I don't think that you can, I don't think you can pursue opportunities effectively because you're just dialing for dollars at that point. You're just like, well, I quoted this person last week. I'll call them back and see if they're ready. 
but you've forgotten that their daughter was graduating college or you tell them about the sale, but the sale wasn't the factor that they needed to make the decision. And now the sale complicates like, well, is there a better time to buy if there's a sale now? You know, like it depends on the customer. And the only way you know that is like to document that stuff. And, you know, I think we talked about that for you as an individual salesperson, right? Like, didn't you document like your interactions and next steps and things? Yeah. I mean, I CRM is uh, for some people, it's kind of like a, a dirty word in sales. Um, you, know, you feel like you're attached to this thing. You have to update all this information. And if I don't update this information, then somebody's going to be upset with me or something. Yeah. But the reality is that it's, it's actually magic. So I will tell you right now, I am not magic salesperson at all. Like it's it's not charisma. It's it's not being able to to read everybody in the room. It's it's knowing that I can't possibly remember the intricacy of every project indefinitely. And right. so it, it's the only way that I can. And, and you know they say that the things are committed to memory. Some by hearing, more by listening, and the most by writing. As soon as you write something, you've then you've then summarized it in your own words, physically. And there's a connection that happens there that establishes itself in your brain. When you read it later, it brings you back to that moment. And it, and you, oh yeah, I remember these people. I remember this project and they had this one challenge. And then when you follow up with them and you remember those details, they don't know that you're in your CRM um, or unless they're in sales. Yep. They just think yep. that you're really diligent and really disciplined and really detail-oriented and really care about their project and care about them. And you might say that it's kind of a cheat code, but you know, it, it really, if it gives my customers a better experience and it makes them feel yeah. more cared for and I can offer them a better overall solution, I'll, I'll take it every day. I agree. I mean, for me, like, you know, leading a sales team, like step one, you've got to get a sales dashboard. Like you have to, because there's, there's literally nothing that can be done without having a dashboard to track your opportunities and to see like, well, which opportunities are the best and like, what's the next step? Cause without like, none of us can keep all that stuff straight in our head. And I, I think it, it is really, really hard to adapt it for the first time. Like I, I've, I've, you know, I've had so many salespeople that are resistant like, well, I can't do it. Like, well, I, 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 I don't want to document it here. Like I can just keep it in my notepad and like, there's all these reasons for it. And it's like, well, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not committed to pushing it forward, it won't get pushed forward. It's going to, it's going to take a champion. That's got to do it. There's got to be a sales champion in the company. That's like, no, we're going to do this. Like we're going to get serious, but this is what's needed. Right. I mean, like imagine, you know, the contractor, you know, coming out to your house to do the quote and, and the contractor's like, Hey, I'm here to quote the roof. And I'm like, well, but I need my windows quoted. Oh wait, you need your windows quoted. Oh, I'm the roof guy. I, I, sorry, I didn't have my notes with me. It's like, no dude, like being a professional is having the notes. Like being a professional is like, and I get, I get it. Like if I would have called you at, you know, dinner time last night, you wouldn't have known who I was. But when you show up to my job site, like you better have read the notes and look at it, you know. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with our with our our customers. Um, have you had any moments of success where you've had one of your salespeople succeed in a follow up or building a habit of follow up, where you look at that and are like, oh, dude, like they're building something special. Yeah, I think I'm proud of their follow-up more than they realize that it's working. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm privy to the you know seeing the numbers and I see the number of quotes that go out and estimates that get booked and, and jobs that, that get closed, and I see a lot of people making purchases where the notes are really diligent, and it's it's almost like the projects that are more complicated 
and force yeah. you to like not take the project for granted are the ones that are more successful with follow-up because yeah. they, they have to know that, oh, geez, I need a tile person and it can't be done until this time and it's got to get done before the inspection or whatever. And in those cases, there's there's a lot of notes to them and it's a multi-step process. So it's the easy ones that I think are actually the ones that probably are the most deserving of the follow-up because those are the people that came in, they said, I want something and it's really simple. And then they went home and they left and something happened in their yeah. life that was a complication. But unless you follow up with them, you won't, you won't know what that hurdle was. Like, where did they go? Did yeah. they decide they didn't want yeah. to start? Did they buy from someone else? Yeah. It's so cool when you see it click. So like one of the things that I tell young salespeople is I say, you know, I, I don't know if this job you have right now is going to be your forever job. But what I can tell you is that this job can teach you how to operate within a sales process and how to manage a book of business. And if you learn the skill set of being able to have a sales process that you can execute really, really well, you can document what's happening within a dashboard or a CRM, and you can work through your book of business to where you could go tell the owner of your company, hey, here's where my backlog is at of my work that has been sold. Here's what I think is going to get pushed through the funnel this month. And here's what, what I'm going to be working on for next month. Dude, that's a, that's a skill set that, that everybody needs. And I mean, like, dude, you can make money, you can have flexibility. Like there's so much opportunity that can come your way when you have that skill set. And, and so even if it's not the forever job, if it's a, if it's a stop, you know, on the journey, my goodness, man, I, I, I think this is a, this is a skill set that is really sought after. Yeah. To me, the question is, is do you want to be a professional? That was the question I asked myself is like, do I want to be a professional at this or do I want to just show up and be okay at it? Yeah. If you want to be a professional, then you find some discipline and you do yeah. some things that are uncomfortable and you challenge yourself and you make mistakes and you learn from those mistakes and you get better. And I think that this industry thinks that it's easy because it's, it's an esoteric thing. Like no one knows anything about stones and fireplaces. And so we kind of sit back and say, well, if they want to buy it, then they have to get through me. And yeah, and, and they do, they do have to get through you. And the question is, is like, you just need to get out of the way. <laughs> put in the work and help them realize their dreams. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And and I'll never forget that that there was a, a moment where we had a sales meeting one day and a guy that had worked for us for a number of years, and he was like a 20-year vet in the industry. He came into the meeting. He was always so resistant to pursuing opportunities. He felt nervous and hesitant. And he came into the meeting. And he's like, Tim, I get it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, dude, I get it. I got, I got, a quote on refinishing my hardwood floors like three months ago. I forgot all about it until just now. I can't find the quote. And I'm actually really mad because if the guy would have called me, I would have just given him my credit card so he could get started. And now I think I have to start the whole bid process over again, you know? And that was the moment for him where it locked in like, no, this actually is a service to people. And you can, of course, you can be manipulative. You can be a jerk. You can be sleazy. But I, I think, I think I'm, what you said is so good at the beginning. Like, if you're trying to help people, then it shouldn't be a burden. And I say that, like, even for me, like, dude, I get scared to follow up sometimes thinking like, well, am I annoying them, this or that? But the reality is, like, if if I think that what I have to offer can help them, and, and especially if they came to me for the service, well, I, I owe it to them 
to pursue the opportunity and they'll let me know if it's not a good fit and and I can I can absolutely stop pursuing the opportunity at that point but you know I think that this is like this is the secret weapon I think if sales teams can start to follow up like literally man like you know 10 calls per week per salesperson 15 calls per week per salesperson like if you can just start with the basics of that like it's unbelievable what will happen right if you're really nervous about making follow-up calls and you don't know what you're doing tell your customers that you call them, oh, dude. call them and say, hey, hey, I'm following up with you. I'm I'm new at sales. I'm trying to figure out what is it about the sale that you like or you don't like or help me out because I'm trying to figure this out. Almost no one will hang up on you. And if they do, mm. they're they're a jerk. But most people will say, <laughs> will say, oh, geez, you know, yeah. They will appeal to your sense of humility and they will help you. And they will say, and I've had this conversation before. They say, oh, Dennis, yeah, no, um, you're way over budget. Or um, it's not at all what we want. Or they just say, gosh, it's just not going to happen this year. I really appreciate you being honest and candid with me. Um, you know, appeal to your customers as if they are people. And they will respond yeah. to such. Dude, that's so good, man. Well, we, we could talk a lot. I, I feel like we, we got to have you back on just to go back and forth about, about sales and, and leadership. But this has been a really, really good conversation. And I think that there's, there's a lot here when it comes to pursuing the opportunity. So thanks for being here, Dennis. I appreciate you, man. Awesome, Tim. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dennis Deacon. Man, there's so much good stuff that we covered. You know, as, as we circle up here at the end, I want to go through a, a couple of notes that I took as I was in the conversation with him. You know, that idea that Dennis talked about where he says, look, pursuing the opportunity, it's math. Make a hundred calls and let me know what happens. It, it's so true. I mean, the evidence speaks for itself. Go call 50 customers. I mean, I'm telling you, you're probably going to close five of them. You might even close 10. So many customers will buy they just weren't quite ready to in the showroom or when your estimator came out. And if you can pursue the opportunity and make it easy for them to purchase from you, they will. And it truly is a math game. You know, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I have struggled with follow-up in the past. You know, I, I feel like when it comes to the call to action, I'm no longer afraid of that. And I think I think that a lot of that is just thinking about, man, if this can really help the person and they've come in to my store to ask about it or in my world today, you know, they've emailed me or they've come to the trade show to ask about software. I mean, I owe it to them to ask if they want to get moving with it or to take that next step. Follow up, I, I have struggled with because, you know, there is that fear of rejection and, and well, am I calling them an, an inconvenient time and all that? But what Dennis said is so true and, 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 and that idea of, am I trying to help this person or am I trying to sell them something? If I'm trying to help them, that will help me overcome any kind of fear of rejection. And, and, and that's that's what I've found to be true for me in in my follow-ups. But, you know, I, I think about a conversation I had with a pretty successful retailer. This is probably seven years ago, and we were having dinner. And I and I asked, I said, Can you can you tell me a little bit about your follow-up process? And he got kind of embarrassed and looked down and he said, We don't have one. And I, I think that what that says is it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity because most people are so busy just moving on to the next customer that comes in the door 
They're not being faithful to steward the people that they've already been working with. And I'm telling you, if if you can start building out a follow-up process where you have each of your salespeople, each of your technicians, just call back 15 customers a week or 10 customers a week. It is going to be amazing to see what happens. I mean, if you have three salespeople and they're doing 15 follow-up calls each week, 45 a week over the course of a month, you know, 160, you multiply that by 12 months. I mean, my goodness, like there's going to be some major equity that comes with that. And pursuing the opportunity, like it, it it's like compound interest on any one given day. I, I can't tell you that you're going to get a return, but you give me a thousand follow-up calls over the course of a year, dude, watch what happens. It's unbelievable. And, and again, for most retailers, it's like every year, they say, well, I, I hope we have a busy season this year. Well, we don't, we don't have to just like, you know, push the wagon up the hill, jump in blindfolded and hope we make it down. Like we can actually pursue opportunities intentionally to, to take some amount of control over steering the ship and making sure that it goes in the right direction. And I, I've, I've literally seen follow-up like transform the sales careers of, of people that I've worked with. And if, if you can teach your team to do it or, or you yourself, if you've never done it before, if you can make that commitment to serve and call people with a reason, like it's powerful what, what happens. And Dennis asked that question at the end, like, do you want to be a professional? You know, professionals pursue the opportunity. They follow up. Professionals use tools. Like you don't want to use a sales dashboard. Dude, cry me a river. Okay. Like Stay an amateur and, and, and see how that goes for you. But, you know, if you want to be a pro, we, we got to use tools to, to help us be a pro. And, and that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Like lifting weights is not easy, but it does help us. And, and, and I, I think that the same thing is true for our industry that even if it starts out as an Excel sheet, like that's totally fine. Just keep an Excel sheet and, and, and track every interaction. Down the road, you can, you, know, you can evolve that into a CRM or a full-blown sales dashboard. But start out with a simple tool like Excel or Google Sheets to document your interactions and write down when your next follow-up is and, and what you want to talk about on the call. And it's really, really amazing to, to see how that, how that turns out. I'm often asked by people, like, how often should you follow up? And my mantra, it's kind of the old adage from direct marketing, is is you follow up until they fly by or die. And and that can mean, you know, again, on a fireplace, that can mean 15 follow-ups between calls and emails and texts. But my favorite follow-up is the one that's pre-planned with the customer, right? So if a customer's on the showroom floor and you, you write up the estimate, but they're not quite ready for an in-home visit... Well, you can plan your follow-up right there and say, well, okay, cool. Well, we'd love to get our technician out to look at the job and just make sure that there's nothing that we missed. I know you're not ready now. When would be a good day next week for me to circle back with you to see if there's a better time? Or, you know, you said that you're going on vacation. Would it be okay if I followed up with you, say, in two and a half weeks to check in on this and and get that estimate scheduled? You know, when you pre-plan the follow-up, two things happen. One... It, it, it makes it not weird when you call because, you know, they're the ones that said to call. So you can literally call them and say, hey, I'm, I'm calling you back because you mentioned that, that you wanted us to check in about the installation on October 15th. And so I'm calling today because our, our schedule starting to book out and I wanted just to, to check in with you on it. You can do that confidently because people are expecting the call. But here's the other thing. Every time you call a customer back when you're supposed to, you're doing what you said you'd do when you said you'd do it. And 
it is amazing how that earns you credibility with the customer. I have seen time and time again, companies fail to follow up or to do what they said they do when they said they do it. And these little ways that you show persistence through your follow-up being done with graciousness and kindness, but intentionally and on a schedule, it, it shows people that you're a professional and that you are actually competent to solve their problem. And, and I've seen many, many jobs close because of that. So I think there's a lot in here. And you know the, the takeaway is, if you don't have a follow-up process, you can start one right now. Well, hey, if this podcast today has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And, and I know right now, like, you know, it, it's the heart of the season. Things are crazy. Follow up is the last thing on your mind. But I'll tell you, like, if you can just simply carve out 30 minutes this week to make calls and to send emails, I promise you good things are going to come of it. And long-term, like that's how you build a follow-up process. So for my teams, we would give everybody 60 minutes twice a week where they were off the showroom floor, just working in front of their computer where they could make calls, they could send emails and they could pursue opportunities. And it was amazing how you know, oftentimes that hour was their highest revenue hour of the week because it's so focused. And and I would encourage you to start this week with just 30 minutes yourself and then see where that goes. If, if you can do that, I think, I think you'll be surprised. And I think that good things will come. So with that said, we're going to wrap it here. We have one more step in the sales process to cover, and I'm really excited for you to hear next week's conversation where we dive into step seven, showing gratitude. But in the meantime, I hope you guys have an amazing week. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn it down.